This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 50. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with Brandon. Hey, everyone. This is Brandon, co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with Josh. Wait, are you making fun of me? I would never make fun of <laughs> you. Son of a... I don't make fun of people. I, I am respectful of all. <laughs> yeah. That's not true. No, That's not true. Maybe not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, listen, happy holidays to everybody listening. And uh, we got a really, really good show ahead. We, we've got yeah. a really fantastic interview and uh we'll, we'll get into that in a second but before we do we've got our quick, quick tip. tip yeah today's quick tip listen to the whole show guys uh if you're uh, if you're new especially listen to the entire show uh we know that these things could be a bit long sometimes uh but we definitely want to encourage you to to make it all the way to the end because there's there's definitely some amazing stuff uh, in particular, in this show, there's there's a lot of really juicy uh, advice at the very end. So if you're the type who listens for five minutes and thinks that you got it all and you you know it all, well, you uh, you certainly don't. You don't. And you're certainly missing out. So uh, make it to the end, guys. Um, Everyone's what, like, "That's a lame quick tip." Yeah, it was a lame quick tip. And what was <laughs> with that voice, man? You sounded like you were going to kill somebody. <laughs> I was I was uh, adding emphasis to that. Okay, no. you're not being Batman again, are you? No, I'm not going to be Batman. Come on. Okay. Sheesh. All right. All right. <laughs> well, before we introduce our guest, I I, I, uh, I want to encourage you guys, as I do every week, to, to jump on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 49 uh, and come and ask our guest questions or just let them know that you listen to the show. Um, you know, the, the, our guests put a lot of time in into to, – you know, just being here and giving you guys advice and, and they love spending the time to answer your questions. They really do. And, and they get a lot out of it. So, uh, you know, jump in and, and let them know how you feel about the show. Uh, otherwise, of course, if you guys have not left a, a review or rating on iTunes yet, I really want to encourage you to do so. We're at 524 reviews and we'd love to see uh, that number get to 1,000 by tomorrow. <laughs> By tomorrow, one thousand. Let's double a year's worth of work by tomorrow. By tomorrow, we're doing it. All right. Yes. So jump on iTunes. Let the world know what you think of the show. Leave a leave an honest review there. Uh, we're not going to bribe you to do anything. That's not how we roll. Uh, but uh, come and do it. All right. Leave us uh, leave us some feedback, and uh, we appreciate it. Uh, with that, it's time for the show. This is the big show. What? <laughs> I don't know. I used to watch wrestling back in the day, and there wow. was like a guy named Big Show. And you know, like, that says a lot about you, Josh, that you used to watch wrestling back in the day, and it all yeah. makes sense now. It's all coming together. Oh, come on, Brandon, you're telling <laughs> you did not watch Hulk Hogan in those yellow spandex back in the day. I was like you weren't four even years bo- old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. All right. So for today's show, we're gonna sit down with a guy named Mike Simmons. Mike's a real estate investor from the great state of Michigan. 
he started flipping houses back in 2008 and has some really keen insight into the best ways to get started in any niche of real estate. Mike's also a really funny guy, so I think you guys are going to love the show. And uh, you know, as as somebody in Michigan, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have an interesting debate later on, so stay tuned. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability. With Plaid certified tenant income and assets reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. All tenant screening and verification is paid by the tenant and done through the desktop and mobile app. It's time to say goodbye to gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. And as a matter of fact, all Bigger Pockets pros have Rent Ready included in your pro membership. If you're not a pro, Rent Ready is offering you 50% off of their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2024. That's R E N T R E D I.com using code BP2024. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, in the year 2024 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Uh, and with that, uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we get the show going? Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. Good to have you. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Awesome. Good to have you. Uh, let us begin at the beginning. What kind of investing do you do? Begin at the beginning. That's a, that's a great I am going to begin at the beginning. Thank I was you. born in a small town. No. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not that so, beginning. No, I won't go. I'll go pretty far back, but I'll make it quick because it's kind of, it, to me, it's relevant how I got started even before I bought my first house. Sure. Um, I was uh, an adult working in the working world. And, you know, I was approaching my 30s and I thought, you know, I, I don't. I don't want to work the rest of my life. That's not really my goal to work, you know, and I was kind of doing the math too, going, okay, I know what I make. I know what my bills are. I know how many kids I have. And, and at the end of the day, I'd have to live to be like 180 to, to really be able to retire. So, uh, so I started looking Good. online and I thought, you know, my first inclination was the stock market, maybe day trading sounded cool. Um, nice. So, yeah, I got online and started really researching um, the stocks and stock market and what the terminology was and, 
And I, I found every time I got on there and started like trying to research stocks or just the stock market or how do you even go about this whole thing, I would always end up on like NFL.com or ESPN.com <laughs> because what oh, I found after, sh- yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I found after a few, uh, a few, you know, jaunts out into the, the real estate, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, stock world is I hated it. It was boring. It was God awful. It was like reading insurance <laughs> novels. It was just, it was the worst. You're wrong, so, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I well, was I, I totally was no, I, I was agree. I was a stock trader for a while so I I did it yeah. and a, a fascinating exciting fast-paced crazy and you'll lose your ASS <laughs> yeah. if you yeah. don't know what you're doing but you have but, to have uh, a boring personality to be a stock trader. <laughs> <laughs> well, well l- luckily nice I got bored by it because I'm yes. sure I would have lost my ASS <laughs> too. So, yeah, I, I just, it just, it, it didn't excite me. I just couldn't, yeah. I tried. I wanted to get into it so bad. It seemed like a cool thing, but I just couldn't get into it. So anyways, when you go online and you type into Google or, or at the time well, Yahoo or whatever I was on and you type in investing, you will get stocks and, and stock trading and that kind of thing, but inevitably you'll also come across real estate investing. So as I was scrolling down and trying to look for a stock site that interests me, I came across real estate, real estate investing sites and real estate investing people out there that are online and, and pushing their wares and things like that. And it, it really piqued my interest. I realized that I just couldn't get enough of it. The more I read, the more interested I was. And, and I just, it sort of built, early on it built that way. I, I developed it, uh, a liking for it or a real interest in it. Now, the people that I was reading and, and things, a lot of times it was kind of salesman-y and you know, kind of bad that way. But <laughs> you know, it, it at least planted the seed that I at least like this whole thing called real estate investing. And then you, know, you move on from there. And, and we can jump to maybe my, you know, when I really got involved. Well, and you know, as much as like we, you know, we we like to make fun of uh, you know, the gurus and those who you know are you know selling their wares and all that. But I mean, you are right. Like a lot of us are in the game because of them. So whether or not you know whether or not their tactics are terrible and their upsells are terrible, well, we are a lot of us are you know they're responsible for our you know future success. So there's something to say for that. Not that I'm saying that you know I love them, but you know, Josh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they plant the seed, and that's really what it was. They, they planted yeah. the seed, and, and I, I really dodged a bullet because I, I talk to people, and I hear a lot of stories about people who, you know, unfortunately spend thousands and thousands of dollars on kind of BS systems before they realize that they were taken, and then they move on and do the right thing. I didn't do that. I was far too cheap to spend that kind of money. So for me, it was just a lot of reading and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So so you you... You, your interest was peaked, and, and then what? Then I did what a lot of people do, and what I really advise people not to do is <laughs> I started reading, and then I thought flipping houses sounded cool, and then I thought buy and hold sounded cool, and then, oh my God, there's wholesaling, and what, what is a lease option? And I started <laughs> just running toward every shiny object that I saw, and what I basically did was I just created this paralysis by analysis, and I started learning a little bit about everything, but I didn't really know much about any one way of doing it. So uh, to answer your question, Josh, I sat on the sidelines for years, really. I I sat there for probably four or five years before I really took the first real step into real estate. I just allowed myself to get too caught up in the reading and then analyzing different processes and models. Gotcha. So and and on that, you know, I don't think the reading is bad. I don't don't think there's any fault in in that. I think I think the issue comes in 
being and and this is going to come off as as a negative on you, but it's not meant to be. <laughs> it's it's you know on on the um, indecisiveness, the inability to narrow down those options to one option and then focus exclusively on that option, work it. And then once you kind of figure it out and get your get your thing uh, get it going with that, then then potentially moving to, to the next and to the next. Uh, yeah. would, would you say that's fair? Yeah, it's totally fair. I, it took someone someone had to tell me to focus on one thing. Forget about everything else. Pick one that you think that you might like, yeah. and really really apply yourself. Some someone had to actually like basically have an intervention and tell me I had to do this. Otherwise, I might still be just reading and looking at the shiny objects. I don't know. I, I just it, it seemed like, how do you focus on one thing? There's somebody making money with this and that. And this guy says this. Is, and the problem is everybody you talk to has their own opinion, right? So it's tough to focus if you're talking to all kinds of different people who are doing all kinds of different models. You get swayed. And they're very, you know, some people are persuasive. They say, oh, man, wholesaling is where it's at. Why would you flip a house? Why would you want to have you know, tenants, you need to wholesale, man. You buy the houses, you never have to do anything. And then the next guy goes, well, what are you talking about? If you flip it, you make all the money. Why, why would you wholesale it? <laughs> Keep these houses and flip them. It isn't that big of a deal. And then, of course, other people go, that's not investing. You need to buy and hold for the long term. And I kept getting pulled in different directions because luckily I was, in a, I was in a mastermind, a real estate mastermind, like a local one, a physical, like one where you go to it. And there was a lot of really knowledgeable people, people doing some good stuff and really knew their thing. But Every time I sat down and talked to the next person who really knew what they were talking about, they really knew what they were talking about in their specific way of doing it. And then the next you know, time I went, I would sit by some other guy who was really helpful and really great, but he was convinced his way was the best. And it yeah. was really tough for me to focus. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a problem that I'd say the vast majority of people who are probably listening to the show are, are, are dealing with. I'd say the vast majority of, quote, real estate investors, you know, those guys who say, I'm an investor. Yeah. I just read a book. Yeah. yeah. You know, that it's something that a lot, a lot of people face. And, and it's, it's good to hear that, that, uh, you know, it's something you went through because, you know, hopefully it gives people some hope, uh, that, that, you know, if you do narrow down your focus and, and start working at that one thing, then, uh, you can find your way. You know, one thing in the Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Real Estate Investing that we put out like a year ago, uh, one of the things we talk about in there is how in real estate, there's a whole lot of different niches and then there's a whole lot of different strategies you can use within those. So altogether, when you combine them all together, there's, you know, like you said, flipping, wholesaling, uh, buy and hold, whatever, lease options, subject to. I mean, these are niches and strategies that when you combine them, there's like hundreds of ways to make this work. And every one of those, you can find somebody on bigger pockets who's succeeding doing it. And so it's it's shiny object exactly like you said hey well, yeah, it, re- really quick what was what was that it was called the what brandon the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate beginner's guide to real estate investing at um, biggerpockets.com slash u b g okay Look at that. there you go yeah okay. it, you know it, it is it is it is sites like like bigger pockets that actually is a tremendous tremendous tool tremendous resource but also a source of so much good information you could literally read and read and read and read and read for days and never get out there. At some point, you have to. I hate to say it. You have to click <laughs> off. You have to hit that little X. At the no! Top. <laughs> All right, I take it back. Just keep reading. Because... <laughs> no, get out. You're right. Get out. Yeah, you, you have to get out there, and, and that's what I wasn't doing. I, you know, at the time, there, your website wasn't around, but I was, you know, on different forums and. Boy, you can find a lot of really bad information too. That's you know part of the problem. You start going down the wrong road every once in a while, and it takes you some time and talking to people to figure out. You know, you're kind of going down a path that isn't really going to be successful. 
so yeah, I mean, so that I mean, basically, I I did that. I I I learned a ton, but you know, you know, the best way to learn is to go out there and do it. I would I would venture to guess anybody you talk to in real estate who's successful will say they didn't really know anything until they did their first couple of deals, and you learn yeah. a ton by getting out there and doing it. And that's how I've learned most of what I've learned. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a super big book reader. I don't I don't devour books on real estate, but I get out there and do it, and you just learn a ton that way. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your first deal. How did that first deal come about? What was it? Okay. Uh, well, the first house, I'm going to talk about the first house I ever got under contract first. It wasn't my first deal, but it's it's important because I started investing in real estate or I, I at least made the decision that I was going to pull the trigger and, and really do it in 2008, right? It's like, one of the worst times in the world because house <laughs> prices were plummeting. And so I put an offer in on a house. I got the courage up to put an offer in the house on a house. And I, I got the money from a very local, small bank, very, very small local bank. And they approved me. It was all set up. We had a, a contract. We we're waiting for closing and the bank went out of business, like Ooh, literally was gone nice. one day. Yeah. So, <laughs> We had we we put or down. Did they have all the out. stickers on the door yeah. saying this has been exactly. shut down by the feds? Yeah, foreclosed. So. Yeah, actually, I looked in and I bought it because it was a good deal. No, <laughs> yeah, no, it, they went out of business and I couldn't find anyone else to fund the deal in time. And I had put a thousand dollars earnest money down. And long story short, I lost it. And I thought, oh my god, it's the end of the world. I just lost a thousand dollars. My first, you know, adventure out into real estate, and I just lost a ton of money. And the funny thing was is. Four months later, I bought a house one street over for half the price that I was going to pay for that house. So you can imagine when I finished rehab, by the way, it was going to be a fix and flip. When I would have finished fixing it up and try to flip it, you can imagine what the house prices would have been like. I would have lost way more than $1,000. I mean, it would have been a disaster. Yeah. So luckily, I didn't get that first one. I, like I said, a couple, uh, a street over a few months later, I bought my first deal. We used uh, traditional mortgage financing. Uh, we went to a bank, got a mortgage. Um, and then, you know, we had to put the down payment down, obviously. And then we used our, our personal funds, my wife and I, to do all of the rehab. So we basically took all of our chips and symbolically pushed them to the middle of the table and said, we are all in. Here's all our money. We're going to try this and, and, and we think we can do it. And we learned a lot and I'll I'd be happy to tell you the things we did right and wrong there. But at the end of the day, we made money and it was really, really good. It was one of the best deals we did for quite a while, actually. All right, let's hear it. What, yeah. what, what'd you do? Well, let's, let's hear okay. what you did right and then I could pick yeah. on you what you did wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, what we did right was we didn't over rehab it, right? We didn't go in and, and do what some new investors do. And they think if I were living here, I would want granite and I would want expensive fixtures. And I would want, you know, they, they overdo it for the area that they're in. And then they realize they can't, they can't make money because they just spent way too much on rehab. Now it was our money and it was all of our money. And there was a, a very definite end to that pile. You know, there was, there was a number that we were going to stop rehabbing no matter yeah, what. Yeah. So we had to budget within that. And we were smart enough and we had enough context to know that we should go to open houses around the neighborhoods and in that community, look at the other houses, find out what our competition is basically, and then make sure we're a little bit better than that, at least a little bit better than that, but not light years better than that, just better than that. So whenever someone goes to look at our house and you know, they're going to go look at other houses that day too. They're going to look and they're going to, and the houses that we bought, that one in particular was like a three, one brick with a, a basement and a garage. It was a decent little house, good price. But when people go look at other houses like that or in the neighborhood, they're going to see 1950s kitchen. They're going to see 
you know, carpet covering up hardwood, this nasty carpet. So that was our competition and we knew that's what we had to beat. So it was pretty easy in that neighborhood, just put in new cabinets. They didn't have to be the best cabinets in the world. Um, as a matter of fact, I think we went to Home Depot and got off the shelf cabinets, but they were new and it was, it made the house better than every other house in the neighborhood. We refinished the hardwood floors, paint. I mean, it was really a basic rehab, but it worked out really, really well for us because we didn't go overboard. Did you do the work yourself or hire it out with a contractor? Um, we hired a contractor. Okay. So we want to get into what we did wrong now. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're hired a contractor. What did we do wrong? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What didn't we do wrong? So the first thing I did wrong was I, I, I went on Craigslist and I said, looking for a contractor to renovate a house, gave him my phone number and guess what happened? My phone blew up pretty soon. My voicemail was locked up and it was just, it was a mess. I was answering calls from all these guys that wanted to go right then and look at it. So I set up appointments to, to talk to, um, six different contractors and I set them up so that I would have an hour with each one and then a half an hour buffer in between in case it went a little long. Right. So you can do the math. I was there forever. Right. So I thought the first contractor would come in. I talked to him for an hour little buffer in case I had to go to the bathroom or go get something to drink or whatever. Then the next, like get like appointments with professionals. Right. So I was I there know, for, that's, that's the first problem. <laughs> I, I was there for like 10 hours. I talked to two contractors. <laughs> the rest of them were no shows. I was furious. And I said, I am never, ever, ever, ever going to do this again. So here, here's one little tip for you. And this, maybe people do this, but I had to learn the hard way. I do when I, when I'm looking for a new contractor, I have one now that I love, but when I need a new one, I will make an appointment with six contractors in one hour and they all show up at the same time. I walk every one of them through one time. And if some don't show, who cares? If, if at least one person's there, it's worth my time. And, and that way they see that there is, uh, you know, there is competition. There's a sense of competition there that they are bidding against other people that are real. And, you know, and that's how we found some really good contractors along the way. But I, I and I, some people have said it's rude. Don't do that. It's rude just for me to sit there for 10 hours too. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's rude. I, I think, you know, I think it's just a matter of, you know, it, using uh, best use of, of, of your time. I'm curious if you've experienced a situation where these guys kind of, you know, they, oh, there's a lot of machismo in that space, right? So, <laughs> so was there any kind of beef? Was there any battles between these guys ever? Or no, I didn't have any. Pro- I haven't had any problems. I, okay. I mean, I show up first, obviously, and I, I've got everything organized. I make a bunch of different uh, copies of the the work order or the scope of work. I hand it out, and I walk. I just lead it through. I lead them through, and when they're done, I basically say, "That's it. Please give me your, you know, send your quote to me in the next couple of days or whatever." So I don't give them a lot. They don't. They're not standing around yeah. drinking coffee and eating donuts and and, hang, and talking. <laughs> Otherwise, there would be problems. And yeah. that's something I found going back to my. I only really have like one or two things I did right. I have a lot of things I did wrong on my first house. So we're going to spend more time there. So anyway, so I, I didn't do that in the first one, right? I, I stayed there for 10 hours. I, I found a contractor and I, the way I picked my contractor was he was about my age. He seemed like a pretty cool guy, somebody I could get along <laughs> with, someone I would probably, you know, enjoy talking to. I thought that was the way I should go. I'm going to pick someone kind of like me, someone I, you know, I kind of like, and he seemed like a good dude. Uh, this is for a not, book club or for you? Yeah, I know, exactly. No, I was just, apparently I was looking for friends at the time. Uh, turns out, worst contractor ever. I mean, the work he did was all right. It wasn't great. Uh, at the end of the day, he didn't pay the electrician um, nice. her her $1,000. It was an electrician uh, company. They, he didn't pay them their $1,000 uh, for the work they did. Of course, I paid him for that. 
And uh, believe it or not, this is going to shock you. So hopefully everyone's sitting down and, and ready and, and rested for this. He didn't answer my calls when I tried to find out what happened wow. with the contractor and why he didn't pay them. Oh, so no, yeah, I feel bad to this day. It makes me cry a little bit. Yeah, he didn't call me back. I couldn't get a hold. He fell off the face of the earth, whatever. So I called the contractor and said, listen, this is what happened. I, I already paid for the for the work. And their response was, as it well should be, that's fine. But we didn't get paid. And we need to get paid. And our only recourse now is to put a lien against your house. And you're not going to sell it unless you pay us. And I was like, good Lord, this is my first house. I'm like, come on. All right, maybe I can figure out a deal. So I talked to the person and they agreed to uh, cut it down to $600 from $1,000. Oh, that was really they, nice. They, yeah, really nice. Didn't have to do that, by the way. Did not have to do that. So I'm going to chalk it up to negotiating skills, and we'll put that in the area of things I did well, <laughs> since, since I feel like there's not enough in that column. But yeah, I, I talked I talked to them, and they, they agreed to cut it down. So I just cut my losses, paid them, and, and moved on. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, that's that's definitely something to learn. Now, how would somebody go about avoiding that, right? So, you know, you're paying a GC, and, and there's, there's subcontractors underneath that they're responsible for paying. And of course, if they don't, you're on the line, which which... If you don't know that, guys who are listening, that's that's the way the world works. Uh, yeah. So how do we how do we protect ourselves from uh, these guys not paying uh, their subcontractors? It's it's pretty simple. It's called a release of lien, and you make your general contractor sign it, and all of the subcontractors need to sign this release of lien. You know, basically saying that they are not going to put a lien against your house for non-payment as long as you pay. And obviously, you pay with checks. Don't pay with cash. You know, don't do some of those things that people do where they get burned. You know, make sure it's all above board. I've had contractors say, oh, you know, can you pay me in cash? And, you know, whatever reason, they have a ton of reasons. And I just say, I'm really sorry. I can't do it that way. Everything has to be with a company check. We're all going to sign a release of lien. And I have my contractor sign, like, basically an agreement before they get started about how the work's going to be done. And, and it spells out everything, the scope of work how they're going to pay their subcontractors, how the, the, rele- you know, the release of funds are going to go and that kind of thing. So I, you do it with contracts, unfortunately, or, or paperwork of some kind that, that stipulates certain things. And a release of lien is the thing that we learned on our first flip there that you have to do. Otherwise, people can come back and say you didn't pay them. And that's just the way it is. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So, so what else did you do wrong? <coughs> well, you like asked me. Yeah, I know. There's more. <laughs> believe me, there's more. Well, you asked me who did the work, right? So... I'm going to say this. I'm not a. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a builder, a finished carpenter, or anything like that. We didn't do the the bulk of the work, but we did think that we could do certain things that were like manual labor that you know didn't require a ton of skill. Like uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to scrape the paint on the back of the house and uh, repaint ourselves. That seemed like a, a good uh, way to save you know yeah. two hundred dollars or sounds like a was. good Sunday activity with the family. yeah sounds like a, yeah my my wife and I went out there with putty knives and I scraped about a one by three foot area and was <laughs> cussing and saying this is ridiculous how much did we save again what exactly was this going to cost us and uh, yeah I think we actually didn't even finish we just said you know what we'll just pay him to do this this is insane it's taking all day and it's ridiculous the other thing was there was a basement like I said and we thought we can paint a basement no big deal and we did it wasn't a, the end of the world but it took us way longer than it would have taken the contractor we held him up a little bit uh, because we weren't done with certain things and just little things like that that we thought 
you know, we're saving a 200 here, a hundred there, 300 there. But what really you do is you're just adding so much time to the job that doesn't have to be there. And, you know, the idea when you're fixing and flipping houses is to turn them as quickly as possible, you know, holding on to them for six months to work on them isn't the way to go. And we were going into the Christmas season too. So had we known more, we would have been even more concerned about getting done with the job faster because we ended up selling the house like December 10th or something. It was horrible. And we held it for too long and, you know, made all those mistakes. We, we talk. Okay. So the next mistake, I'm, I'm just running through them now because you just made me, you made me realize I'm such a screw up. <laughs> no, this is horrible. This is good stuff though. People need to know. I mean, it, yeah. it's things that a lot of people do. So we got we found a realtor. I don't even remember how we found this realtor. Um, she might have been recommended to us. And I said, I, I want to sell the house and I want to sell it quickly. What what do you think is a good? And by the way, I didn't do my after repair value too much. Like not like I should have. At least I kind of got lucky a little bit. But I should have known what the house was going to be worth really very well my, myself before I got too far into this. But I trusted her and said, what do you think it's going to be worth? What should we put it on the market for? And she gave me a price. And I said, all right, I don't want to hang on to this forever, though. So make sure we're not being too you know, aggressive with this price. And no, 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 no. I think we can get it. Well, long story short, it took, it took us like four months to sell it. It was She priced it so high. It was a complete joke. I mean, she was trying to make a big commission, I guess, and maybe trying to do us a favor by making us a lot of money. But you know how it goes. If you overprice the house and then it sits there for a month, now you've got a house that's sitting there for a month and nobody knows why it's not selling and they have to assume something's wrong with it. And you go down that road and that's kind of, we were chasing our tail the entire time. We would drop it by 5,000 and then nothing. And then we drop it. And then you got a house that keeps dropping in price every other week. And then that creates a stigma. And it was just kind of a bad deal from that point of point of view, but we still, you know, I live in Michigan. So the house we bought for $40,000. You live where? In the great state of Michigan. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be fun. Really? All right. Continue where you're going. We're going to have to move on in a second. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So in Michigan, you can buy a house for $40,000. At least in 08, you could. Buy for a dollar, my friend. (laughs) I said Michigan, by the way. I'm being state specific, not city specific. I don't know what city you're talking about. So we bought it for 40,000, you know, we put like 15 into it, sold it for like 85 and you know, we made 15,000. It was a good deal for us. It was a good first deal. Um, you know, it, we didn't have any partners, so that was good, right? We weren't splitting it with anybody. Um, and even with the high price point to begin with and what we ended up getting for it, we did all right. It was fine. We just should have priced it lower. We probably could have made more if we would have not priced it quite so high to begin with. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. That's like gives gotcha. bad flashbacks to uh, my early flipping days. <laughs> yeah, I think every flipper's had that experience. So, yeah. yep. um, so, so I, l- let's 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 stop for a second here. Hold on, hold on. So, you're you said you're from Michigan, yeah? Yes. Okay, and Michigan's a great state. I you know I love Michigan. Never been there. Love <laughs> love the state. Oh, this is this is so condescending. What do you love about it, Josh? There's nothing. You know, I, the people are great. The, the, the landscape is okay. gorgeous. You know, the industry that it. Wait, hold on. Um, so what do you Mich- drive, Josh? What do you drive? I drive all Japanese, baby. Okay, all right. Then, then I, I don't have a point. Go ahead. I, I, I'm a Honda Toyota man. So, if American cars were better, for crying out loud, okay, I just lost a third of my audience. Yep. Um, okay, so you're you are, now. Are you in in D, it's what is it? D, D, Detroit. Are you in Detroit? Uh, I am. I'm not in Detroit. Oh. Man, do you invest in Detroit? 
Yeah, we can go there too. I have invested. Oh, in we're Detroit. going there. I have, I have, <laughs> I have some stories for. I have some Detroit stories for you. Okay, so so uh, this is. Let me just let, let let's just do a segue here. This is show forty nine of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and for about forty eight of the previous shows, uh, in some way, shape, or form, I have implied or or directly bagged on the great city of Detroit. Like and the I word call is it, mock. You've mocked. I haven't mocked. I have not listen, mocked it. I listen. I I have listened to a a ton of your shows. Right, you crowbar in shots at Detroit, even when there's nothing to be said about it. So so you'll yeah. talk to people and go, oh, "Where are you from? Chicago? Isn't that near Michigan? Isn't that where Detroit is?" So. Uh, let's get to this. Let's get to this whole discussion because I think it's a discussion that needs to be had and we'll, we'll keep it really brief and then we'll move on. Um, just because I get so much grief from people for my, my, my right. little crowbar. I'm going to, I'm going to represent Detroit now. Here we do go. it. Do it. All right. Here's the deal. So people are always out there saying, you know, you can find these. Yeah. Okay. Let me stop and circle back. My issue with Detroit is this. The city, the industry, everything's kind of going the wrong direction. Has been for a long, long, long time. You know, they want to raise. I don't know how how many properties do they want to raise? Thousands and thousands of properties that they're trying to just like literally destroy because the the uh, economy and everything else is it, there's such a problem. My my issue is people are out there trying to get unsuspecting, unknowing real estate investors, <clears throat> quote unquote, to come in and buy property. Me? in Detroit. And, you know, it really concerns me. And they is obviously a big they. It can mean one of lots of different folks, but tends to be some of the unseemly folk who are doing it. And, you know, yeah, you can buy a dollar property. You could buy a $50, $1,000, you know, a, a $5,000 property. And, you know, if, if you could get the rents and if you can actually get somebody to live there, you know, certainly you can make some money, but you know, it scares the crap out of me that people who aren't aware think, oh, I could buy a super cheap property. Cool. Well, cheap doesn't mean, you know, it's cheap. Inexpensive doesn't mean cheap. So um, that's my biggest thing with Detroit. And Detroit really acts as a representation of all those other cities around uh, the, the Rust Belt where, you know, the cities are kind of going in the wrong direction and where people are... Um, Trying, trying to get what I think is a lot of suckers into to buy property that are that are potentially uh, going to be big fat losers in the long run. So that's 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 my take, and it's it's really out of you know a, a worry for for folks more than anything else. I have nothing against Detroit. I'll say it now. I really don't. <laughs> Wait a minute. How are you going to take back everything you said? Oh, I haven't other- said squat. <laughs> no, 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 no. You no, know no. what? <laughs> Mike, <laughs> click. Oh, we just lost Mike. Sorry, everybody. Next guest. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. Let me address that. I, here's all right. So in real estate, there's a lot of people like we talked about earlier. There's a lot of people that would purposely lead you astray. Forget Detroit for a minute. Just in real estate in general, right? Absolutely. Buy my course, five thousand dollars, zero value in it. Sure. It's all fluff. It's garbage. So then you turn and say, you know, real estate investing is for schmucks and it's for swindlers. And I'm not going to invest in real estate. It's no good. Detroit is the same way. Detroit has really bad areas that you should never forget about investing or buying a house. You should never drive through them. <laughs> They're just not areas that are safe to be in. There are areas in Detroit that 
are not bad. And I know that's going to get a chuckle, but I'm telling you, I did invest in in Detroit for a very short period of time, had an idea. It didn't work out so well. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) Chuckle. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. It didn't work out so well for a lot of the reasons why you're talking about. Was the idea really quick? Because I'm going to predict your idea. uh, Here we go. The idea was you're going to buy an entire block and you're going to go in there and clean up that whole block because you could buy the block for like, you know, five, ten thousand bucks and you'll have the clean, safe block and everybody there's good comps and everybody's happy and safe, right? No, that that I'm not that ambitious. I'm not <laughs> I, I had that block. idea once. <laughs> no. Bad no. idea. <laughs> no, I mean here I mean here's the thing with Detroit. And I, I suspect it's a lot like this with a lot of big cities. I mean, Detroit gets a bad rap and a lot of it is is deserved and some of it's not. There are good areas of Detroit. There really are. Um to be general, you know, the west side, the northwest side, there's some very nice neighborhoods. I drove through them for a year. I drove through them and, and looked at houses and they really were nice. Now, there's areas of Detroit that are really, really bad. And the problem with it is, you're right, I could go and buy a house for a dollar, for a thousand dollars, for five thousand dollars and try to pawn that off on somebody for ten thousand dollars and move on. And there are people who are doing that every single day. There really are. Yep. There are areas of Detroit where you can buy a house. It, the problem is if you're buying it for 5000 you can go ahead and make the, the logical leap that in the in assumption that it's a bad area. It probably is. And if you're buying a house for $5,000 and you don't think it's a bad area, go visit the house at night and look around and see what's happening, right? If, if, it, if there's a lot of bad stuff happening, then you know you bought a bad house. But there are houses in, in, in area, there are areas of Detroit that are family, blue-collar areas where people are investing in, and they're doing all right. I know people who buy and sell houses in Detroit all the time. Sure. The problem is I'm not from Detroit. That was my number one mistake. I don't know the areas. Now, I partnered with a guy who is from Detroit and did know the areas, and but still, he grew up there. He doesn't live there now. He hasn't lived there in 15 years. He still doesn't know enough about it. And the bottom line is we had a lot of problems, right? The problems that you would associate with Detroit. We were in decent areas, but it is what it is. It, it's, a, it's a unique area to try to invest. And it takes a certain kind of investor. Like I said, I know people who do invest in Detroit and they are successful and they're not, they're not bad guys. They're not doing the wrong thing. But they understand the city. They understand how to rehab a house. They understand what you have to do during a rehab. You have to, you have to watch the house. You can't in, in Detroit, you don't leave houses alone for a week at a time and expect nothing to happen. Yeah. Something will happen. But the bottom line is, too, there are people who want to live in Detroit. And there's sure. people who can't afford to spend $100,000 on a house. And you're not, you're, not, you're, not, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. They want to live in Detroit. They're looking for a nice neighborhood with a house that is in good repair and is safe for their family. And if you can provide that, great. If you're selling them a house that's in a cracked neighborhood and, and they have little kids and it, you're selling to them for way more than you should, yeah, you're a bad guy. Yeah. But that's, that's not all that happens there. And, and I think that's a good point. Uh, you, you know, uh, all joking aside, you know, people legitimately want to live in Detroit. People either because they have to um, or, or because they want to. And, and, you know, it is unfortunate. And, you know, for me, it's really more... I'm a big political guy, and I think it's a big political commentary on on kind of the state of the state, so to speak. And and you know, it really is saddening to me more than anything to to see, um, you know, one one of our greatest cities in in the country, and one frankly one of the greatest cities in the history of the world in terms of industry. You know, see such an utter and and horrifying collapse. And uh, you know, I I think. I think investors can play a very important role in Detroit, um, 
but I but I don't think it's for the uh, the newbie. I think you know investing in an area like that is really for folks who have a what what you said a, you know have an experience level, have a really deep understanding of the city, who get you know the 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 demographic trends, who understand you know that you can't mess around. Like you said, I mean you know if somebody new coming in goes to flip a house, has all their materials locked away in there, and they come back, it's gone. You know, I mean, it's it, there's there are a lot of problems that Detroit has, and and it's not only in Detroit, but um, you know, I I think we just people just need to be cautious, and and I think it's a place for the experienced investor to to focus versus newbies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You you have to know what you're doing. It's a very specialized market. I mean, I've had break-ins of houses that I'm flipping in the suburbs, in the nice suburbs. It happens. Sure, it's just. It, it might be a little more frequent in Detroit, that's all. Yeah. I, I had someone break into a house, actually, just a quick story. I, I had someone break in. We did a rehab, very nice rehab, completely done. The next day I went there to go look around and, and the keys and everything. I had the keys. Keys not working in the door. What's the problem? Look in. Somebody clearly has been in there. That I, I call my contractor. He goes, those, aren't even the, the, those are not the, the locks I put on the door yesterday. They're, they're different. Somebody came in took off the locks, rekeyed it, put a new lock on, moved in. I called a lawyer and said, okay, so here's the deal. I've never experienced this before, but here's what happened. He said, yep, I, I know what you're talking about. You have to evict them. I yep. said, what do you mean I have to evict them? They moved in, they broke into my house and changed the locks. And they're like, no, you have to evict them. I mean, that's just the process. And it took me 90 days to get them out. And so it was- so I, had, <clears throat> I had the same thing happen in St. Louis. I had evicted somebody from a unit in a building they had broken into the adjacent unit, uh, changed the locks, and I had to evict them out of out of that <laughs> that unit thereafter. So I th- this is I mean, and that that's one of the reasons why I tell people really, you know, is, especially in lower income areas, you, you've got to be careful, you know, because a lot of that stuff uh, happens, and and it's yep. unfortunate. Uh, but why am I uh, yeah. paying a mortgage? There's like vacant houses in my neighborhood. <laughs> You know what? I mean, I, like I said, I think this happens in other cities. I don't have experience in other cities, but in Detroit, there are people who just go from house to house to house to house and they get evicted. They break into another house. Unfortunately, like Josh was saying, there's a lot of houses that need to be torn down. Yeah. And there's a lot of just bad areas where it, the houses are abandoned because the neighborhoods are so out of whack that nobody wants to live there. So people just break in and, and, and that's it. They live there for three or four months and they just do that every, you know, every three or four months they move around and, and that's how they live. Well, hopefully somebody listening to the show is is somehow related to the uh, the folks in power over there and, and maybe they learn a thing or two about, uh, you know, how screwed up things are and, and, and can start doing that. I, I, I know there's a lot of forward thinking folks in there now and I think they're trying to drive a lot of industry and I think uh, there's there's a lot of really exciting looking plans to be honest. I mean, I've seen some really cool stuff where they're really trying to turn uh, Detroit into this very very progressive green um, uh, city. But it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot of work. It's gonna take a bloody fortune to do. Uh, maybe if we uh, well, I'm not gonna get into my politics. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I can't I definitely can't defend the city itself and the decisions that have been made over the years. I, I can't. It, it's tough. I've lived. Yeah. I, I grew up about an hour south of Detroit, and I now live a half an hour north of Detroit. And when I was growing up, I, nobody went to Detroit. You, you just there was nothing there to go do. Nobody wanted to be there. We went 
you know, I, li- I lived on the border of Ohio and, and Michigan. I, we'd go to Toledo. That was where everybody went. And now that I'm an adult and I'm living north of Detroit, we go down there for Tigers games, baseball games, and, and Lions games. And the area around those stadiums is actually pretty nice. You can really have a nice day and enjoy yourself, good restaurants, but you can't venture too far out. It's just not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you are you're then you're flipping in kind of the, the outskirts of Detroit, right? Is that that's kind of where your what your strategy and location is now? Yeah, it, 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 technically it's it's called Metro Detroit in this okay. area. So when someone says I, I live in Metro Detroit, I, I real estate invest in Metro Detroit, what they're saying is the suburbs around Detroit. Basically. Okay. All right, gotcha. and those different. So why don't we why don't we jump back into that if you guys are done with your little, your little debate? <laughs> no, I just, right. and, and and you know really it's quick, tough I mean, to, it's tough to defend, but yeah. Go ahead. And I was listen. I mean, I, I I'm glad to have somebody on the show who, who's who's from there, and and because I I really do think it's important that we we talk about it. Um, you know, it is an important city in this country, and I I think you know it is reflective of other. Uh, cities potentially as well, and you know, even though I bag on it, it's I do so because it really is representational of of other stuff. So uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, all my bagging is is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's how we just wrapped it up. That's most... It's my show, to, son. <laughs> I have to go outside, Josh. I have to travel around. All right. <laughs> okay, so Mike Simmons is is a big fan of Detroit. Yeah. Don't target him, guys. Come on, the, the Tigers are great. <laughs> let's go back to your deals that you're you're flipping primarily correct i mean that, that's your yeah that, now. that's yeah i i have a i have one rental i got it you know kind of gun to my head kind of a thing it was i got remarried and and it was a house that i owned i couldn't sell it because it was completely underwater and i have tenants and i i basically took the first tenant that came to me with the money and it was just like everything that you can do wrong on a rental I've gone to. So. <laughs> nice. Now what I, what I didn't realize was until really not that long ago is I got someone in there and they're in the, they're covering the mortgage and everything. And I always thought this is the worst situation. I have bad, bad tenant. I'm not charging enough. It's a, the horrible, like numbers wise, it's horrible. I'm making $300 a month on this rental. It's actually not a bad rental. If you look at it that way, it's just, I didn't really screen the tenant too well. So getting that money each month, I'm earning every bit of that money. So <laughs> nice, nice. And, uh, and my primarily flip. Yes. And listen, you're not, you're not alone in that either because yeah. you know, I, I think the, well, the reason bigger pockets exists today is because I, I am you, you know, I, I, made every friggin mistake in the book and then I made it again and then I made 20 others. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want other people to go through that and that's why the show's around and that's why the site's around. And, and, and so, yeah, don't feel bad. Yeah. A lot of people go through it and we all, we all kind of suck it up and either we lick our wounds or we, uh, get the hell out. Yep. That's how we learn. So I've learned a lot, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability. With Plaid certified tenant income and assets reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. All tenant screening and verification is paid by the tenant and done through the desktop and mobile app. 
It's time to say goodbye to gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. And as a matter of fact, all Bigger Pockets pros have Rent Ready included in your pro membership. If you're not a pro, Rent Ready is offering you 50% off of their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2024. That's R E N T R E D I.com using code BP2024. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, in the year 2024 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash bigger pockets. NetSuite.com slash bigger pockets. So where are you uh, where are you finding your deals? Is is this uh, marketing, MLS? Uh, what you know, what what are you doing? It's primarily MLS. I do, you know, I I, I do have bird dogs basically who are out there. Uh, they're not out there every day. But there's a lot of people that are in real estate that know what I do and 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 I you know, created a network of people that kind of throw deals at me here and there when they see something comes up or, you know, they can't handle it for whatever reason, don't have the funds, don't have the time, they'll push it my way. But honestly, the vast majority of the deals that I get are through the MLS. I've got a, a, I work with a realtor, one specific realtor who really knows my business, knows me. We have a high level of trust in each other. Um, and he sort of gets it. So he, he pushes a lot of things my direction and, and lets me look because he knows I'll look at him immediately and I'll make an offer on the spot if it's a good deal. So, you know, it, it, we work very well that way and I do use him pretty much exclusively. Okay. So say that again, because I think that's something that pe- people really need to be paying attention on. You know, in, in order, I think, to be taken seriously and in order for for other uh, professional real estate investors to really consider you, you want to be able to and you have to be able to act quickly. Is that correct? 
Yeah, you, there's just no way around it, especially especially if you're using the MLS to find houses. You have to act very, very quickly because if it's a good deal, there's a lot of other people looking at it. And like I said, in Michigan, house prices aren't what they are in, in California and some of these other states. So a lot more people have gotten into, you know, quote, real estate investing because they had an extra $40,000 sitting around and think they can do it. So you have a lot of people making a lot of offers. And if you're not quick and you're not the first one there, you know, a lot of times you just miss out. So yeah, being, being fast is key. And th- and that creates some problems too in that, I mean, for a new investor, somebody who's just getting started, the key is to go fast, but the key is also not to screw up and do your numbers wrong. So how do you yeah. reconcile that for a new investor? What kind of advice can you offer for somebody? How do they do it quick without screwing up? They don't have time to go, you know, post it on the bigger pockets forums, debate it for a couple of days. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Uh, I guess my number one advice for someone in that situation would be find a mentor, find someone who's doing it and can give you some advice and show you how to working the numbers really isn't that hard. It doesn't take that long if you know what you're doing. So it's not like I I go into houses and and I pull out a spreadsheet and, and I have to do these advanced calculations. It's pretty quick, but you need to find a mentor, find someone who can kind of shortcut some of the mistakes that you're going to make right off the bat, the real easy ones, and and work with them and maybe just shadow them for one or two deals and just just watch, observe, maybe help if you can. But I would say don't try to like right out of the box. Don't try to do it all by yourself without talking to anybody and think you're going to figure it out. You will totally screw it up. And and by mentor, you mean find a successful real estate investor in your area who's yeah. willing to take you under their wing versus yep. spending ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars for a <clears throat> mentor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and really, they don't even have to do a lot. I mean, there's there's a real estate investing club in most cities. So find one that's close to you. Go there. Spend it. You know, go go to a couple of meetings. Try to you know identify, talk to people. Obviously, network. Identify some of the people who are the players in your area, and maybe just take them out for lunch and and just ask them some questions and ask them some of the things that you need to be aware of and what are the the pitfalls or what are the things that you you know I'm going to do wrong. Like it, these guys know exactly what you need to do when you're first starting out. They need they, they need they know how to calculate the numbers. They can show you how to calculate the numbers. Like I said, it doesn't have to be rocket science. And I know I've listened to people on your show who are engineers and things and they have very sophisticated algorithms for how they're going to buy houses. And that's great. But when you're just buying one or two, you know, or your first one, you really don't have to make it that much of a science, but there's numbers that you have to be aware of. After repair value being huge, I mean, that's that's huge. You need to know what it costs. to If you're going to do a flip, you need to know what it costs to rehab the house. Right. So if you know what you can sell it for and you know what it's going to cost to rehab it and you can calculate a couple of other things like the, the realtors commission and maybe some holding cost. Um, and then then, you know what you have to, to pay for it if you want to get a certain profit. So they can work these basic numbers through. But I think you need to sit with someone who's done it and, and just pick their brain. That would be the number one thing. That's great advice. Great yeah. advice. So, so while we're talking, my, my ADD getting the most of me, unfortunately, <laughs> and I decided to go look up some information and I've got to just digress for a second here and, and, oh boy. and no, you're going to be really pleased about this. All right. So I found a really cool article in business insider and, and, uh, hopefully we can, we'll, we'll point to it in, in the show notes. It's, uh, okay. it's all about things going right for Detroit. And, uh, I just wanted to kind of make sure everybody knows that I'm equal opportunity here. <laughs> the car right. business is booming. Housing prices are up year over year, 19% as of March of this year. Housing starts have seen gains 11 of the past 13 quarters. Payrolls haven't seen a negative month since April 2010. 
Manufacturing growth has outpaced national average every month since March 2010. Local household finances have improved 11 of the past 13 quarters. Cities saw a 68% increase in hotel night stays from 12, 2012 to 2013, and on and on and on. There's, there's actually a lot of positive things uh, happening right now. So it, That place sounds like a utopia. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I love it. I'm moving right it. now. Yeah. Anyway, no, so it's it's true. It, it, things are on the upswing. I, I know because I, I buy and sell houses. So I do realize that the house prices are going up and the industry is picking up. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of good things. I, I'm not going to say that Detroit's the greatest place to, to invest. Matter of fact, the city is a very, very, very difficult place to invest if you don't know what you're doing. But uh, Metro Detroit or those of us who are in the suburbs around Detroit, I mean, it's probably like most other suburbs around the country. It's just, you know, nice, nice neighborhoods and, and good places to invest. Yeah, that's cool. So, so, sorry to sorry to jump into that, but I just, no, like, that's good. I felt really bad. You know, you made me feel kind of evil. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't feel evil. Yeah. Um, well, so so let's let's kind of move forward really quick uh, through through a couple other things. Um, can you potentially walk us through a typical flip? How are you paying for it? How much are you spending on rehab? What are you selling it for? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Sure. Um, so like I said, it, it, here in Michigan, I mean, I, I always imagine people listening in other, in other States. And I, I know you're in Denver, right, Josh, or I, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. I've lived um, everywhere though. Except okay. Detroit. I, I don't know what the housing market's like there. <laughs> I, that's it. I'm going to get you a little place here. I'm just going to spend $5,000 <laughs> Yes. and I'm going to, I'm going to get over you a place me, right near downtown, right near downtown. <laughs> And, and I'm going to let you spend a week there. As long as you buy me a $5,000 matching gun to go with it, we're good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you can buy real estate relatively inexpensively here. So our typical buy-in um, in, in my market that I work is, uh, it started off, like I said, around 40000 when I first started investing. It's you know probably closer to 50000 now, uh, what we have to, to spend to buy a house. Um, we're spending... house or, or is that... Is that for the, for the lot or is that for like just the bathroom or is that the, the entire house? <laughs> that is the entire house. Yeah. Great deal, huh? No, it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 40, I don't know, like 50,000 buy-in. Now, the houses that I'm buying are like a three, one, three, two, maybe brick ranch, thousand square foot garage and basement. I mean, pretty straightforward. So 50,000 buy-in, we're going to spend 15 to 20 probably closer to 20 on the rehab and sell it for usually around 110 115 somewhere in there not bad pretty typical deal um the way that i financed my deal the first deal i did like i said we did we got a mortgage and we went all in with the savings and and um paid for everything ourselves what we did right another oh in in the right column i forgot i didn't finish that (laughs) i just it, it just occurred to me what i did right and i didn't mention it so one thing we did really, really well was once we had that first house going, we hadn't even closed on it yet, but we sort of had an idea that we were going to make money. We thought it was going to go all right. We started going to these real estate groups and these clubs and our mastermind that we were in and just talking to everyone, telling everyone what we were doing. We started a Facebook at the time. They were called fan pages. I think they're business pages now. But we, we started one of those and got on there and started posting video, posting pictures, talking about what we were doing and just putting ourselves out there as much as we could anywhere we could. And based off that networking and putting ourselves out there and putting videos up and, and doing tours of the house that we had renovated like before and after type stuff, we 
um, had people start approaching us and saying, hey, you know, we're we like what you're doing. You guys seem like great people. It looks like you did a good job. We have a little money. We'd like to invest. You know, how do we get this going? And we sort of felt our way through the process and made some mistakes. We did. We did a few without any contracts at all. Just here's, you know, eighty thousand dollars. Let me me know what you make. And uh, and then we started getting a little bit more professional. The phone numbers. (laughs) Folks who (laughs) blindly gave you eighty. Yeah. Well, luckily, we're honest people and it all went well. But you know, then we started getting a little more professional, and, and when we found a house and got under contract, we would actually create <clears throat> basically uh, an investment portfolio for the house where we'd show them pictures. We would go through the, the list of what we were going to do to it, show them the comps for the after repair values, and we kind of created a um, you know basically a little a little kit for each house that we did that we could present to investors and show them what we were going to do. Just a little bit more professional, but that's basically how it started, just networking and talking. And then, you know, we word got around and we started getting asked to talk at these local real estate clubs and get up on stage and, and speak. And then, you know, as soon as you do that, you get a little bit of, you know, extra credibility and, and people, more people would approach us. And pretty soon at the time, we weren't, we weren't doing very much. We were getting more money than, than we could use. We, we kind of, unfortunately, we had money sitting on the sidelines that we just, we couldn't, we couldn't use it all. Yeah, well, that that no, that's an awesome like tip too. Is just by getting out there and telling people what you're doing. I mean, I, I say that a lot. Like, just tell everyone what you're doing. Talk about your business all the time. Yeah. I mean, don't be annoying, but yeah. And people, if you're doing a good job, people are going to be attracted to that. People are attracted to success. Hey, I'm Brandon from Bigger Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's true. And it, it, the thing was, is I'm not a real network guy. Like, it, it, I don't love going to things and talking to people I don't know. And it felt kind of braggy at first. But if you do just get out there and start talking to people, I mean, I know people that do way more than I do in real estate. I mean, they're just they're just killing it and nobody knows about them. And they're, they're big. Their number one complaint is I can't find enough money to do deals. But if people knew how good they were at what they were doing and how much money they were making and how many houses they're flipping and how what a great professional job they're doing people would trip over themselves to get to them to try to get on board and be part of that yeah. but they don't they don't like networking they just kind of do everything in a bubble and they're doing great they're killing it but nobody knows yeah brandon and i have a lot of discussions uh about real estate investors and uh, every every day and and uh you know one of one of the things that we really end up always back on is, you know, there's a lot of real estate investors who, who think everything's good. And, and for them, it, it probably is. But I, he and I both argue that every single investor has wants and needs of some kind. You know, we, we've all got some kind of needs. You know, if you're going to be a successful investor in real estate, no matter what, at some point in time, you're probably going to end up needing more funds uh, to to help you grow uh, and continue to grow your business and and so you know my my quick plug is you know we've got the bigger pockets marketplace it's biggerpockets.com/marketplace and you know just post your needs and wants i mean if you're a successful investor and you're killing it and doing great things show people you know show them in our success stories area let them know that because the more you do that, and we'll link to this stuff, we'll link to the success stories in the show notes and we'll link to the marketplace, but the more you can demonstrate to other people that you are successful, that you're doing a good job, the more attracted uh, other people are going to be to you. So, you know, it's not a matter of bragging. It's a matter of, you know, this is how you build a business by telling people that you're doing well. You know, they don't know otherwise. So do it and make sure to put it out there because when you put it out there, it's, uh, it, it circles back. 
Now, now with that, though, how do you do that if you're just starting out? You know, a lot of our listeners are just starting out. How do you brag about or talk about or whatever? How do you how do you build up that reputation when you're when you have no reputation? Uh, like Don't I said, lie. Yeah. <laughs> what we did is we we went to our local real estate investing clubs. And you know what? There's a lot of <clears throat> people there who are just talking about real estate and they show up every month and it just it seems like they're doing stuff, but they're really not. They're just talking about it and they just like the environment and they never really get out there and do anything. But there are a lot of people or some people, I should say, not a lot, but there are some people at those clubs that are really doing great things. And at least in my area, investors show up to those clubs. People who want to be in real estate maybe don't have the time or the inclination or the knowledge to actually go out and do it, but they have money and they they want to hook up with people who know what they're doing and know what they're talking about. And I'm telling you, I that's how I have found most of my private money is just doing exactly that. And I know people who have had great success, they just bump into a guy and they start talking and it turns out this guy's got money and, and he really wants to invest and he, he likes what you're doing. But if you never go to these things, if you never network, if you never talk, if you never discuss what you're out there doing, they don't come to your door and look for you. You have to go out there and make yourself available. Yeah, that's true. So I have one more question kind of involving this uh, the raising money thing. This is a question that people ask all the time on the forums and it's a state specific and it's a case specific thing. So I know you're, you're not giving legal advice here. We're not lawyers and we don't play one on TV, but how are you structuring your partnerships? Are you doing LLCs, corporations, or how do you manage that side of things? Uh, well, I mean, I have an, my business is an LLC, but as far as structuring the the deal, the, the financing with the private investor, when I started out, I had the philosophy and, and the philosophy was basically told to me, and I've heard you guys say it, 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. Mm-hmm. So what the advice to me was, listen, you're new, you haven't really done that much. If you find someone who is willing to partner with you, and you can give them 50% of the profit and they will put up all the money, then do it. So I created pretty quickly a large pool of investors uh, who were willing to do just that. So what I have been doing for the last few years is pretty much 50-50 deals. However, I do have a few investors that will work on a rate of return. That's just what they're interested in. They want a rate of return and that's fine. And I'm trying to kind of branch out. You know, I got kind of spoiled for a while because I had a lot of investors and I had more money than I could use and but they were all 50-50 deals. So now what I'm trying to do is find other avenues and other investment uh, means where, you know, maybe it's a little bit, you know, more profitable on my end than just a 50-50 every time, but I still do a lot of 50-50 deals. Can can you explain what a rate of return is for folks who may not understand? Yeah, sure. Uh, like it would be someone who says, "All right, I have a hundred thousand dollars. Right, the the deal is going to be. Let's just say it's a little expensive for my area because I'm near the D town word. Uh, but <laughs> I can get a house for forty. But let's just say I had to pay a crazy amount, like seventy thousand dollars, and it was going to cost me thirty thousand to rehab. And somebody says, "I have a th- hundred thousand dollars that I'll loan you, but I want a rate of return. I want ten percent on my money. And and basically, you're paying them a just simple interest, ten percent every month until you pay them back. So if you if you if it takes you six months to renovate the house and another year to sell it, you're probably not going to make out better in that situation. But that's just what you you know decide on before it starts. So basically, it's a monthly payment, a, a simple interest monthly payment rate of return each month. Got it. So so in that hundred thousand example, if it were a ten percent rate of return, is that ten percent? So I'm I'm paying ten thousand dollars month one, or am I paying ten thousand dollars spread over the amount of time it takes? 
yeah, it, it would be spread over the amount of, amount of time it takes. So there's there's no guarantee that it's going to get to that 10000 If you buy the house and sell it within three months, well, that, that's great. You're not going to end up paying as much as you would if you held on to it for a year. Basically. Gotcha, gotcha, and, gotcha. And do you put each house and each partnership into a separate LLC or do you run it all into your business LLC? I run it all into my business LLC. And okay. basically what we do for our, our investors is – <clears throat> we're, we're signing a private mortgage and the way I structure it to protect them is I give myself a time frame or I, 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 I basically commit to a time frame and usually it's six months just to be fair to everybody. So, but from the time I take their money on a loan for six months, I have six months to sell it. At the end of the six months, they're within their rights to foreclose on the house. They can take the house from me. If I take forever to sell it, if I just hold on to it, you know, I say I'm going to borrow your money because there's no payments. Let's make that clear too. I make no payments. Okay. They pay for the, for the cost of the house, um, the EMD, the rehab, everything. Everything comes out of, out of that money. So it's basically we have, we have a couple of different contracts. One of them is a mortgage, and then we have a joint operating agreement that we sign. Right, so each one we have a um, a joint operating agreement, and then uh, we have a um, a loan for uh, uh, unsecured, which would be the 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 rehab amount, right? The the money we're going to use to fix it. So there's three documents, and then at the end of that six months, we have to pay them back in full plus fifty percent of the profit, or they can foreclose on the house. Yeah, and th- that's I, I got to tell you, I mean, that's pretty ballsy of you to 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 offer that out, and I and I think you know. I think what that does is that makes you very attractive uh, for for private money investors, and and I think for for folks listening who are thinking of of kind of getting into this and and borrowing people's money, you know, you said something that really struck me, and and you know, I think I've heard that from from the vast majority of our our, our guests who who do take private money, and it's your your job, your goal is to make your investors feel at ease. And 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 I, I think I can't I can't press upon it uh, enough that that's probably the most important part of the entire thing. W- would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't know if it's just the area I'm in or the people I'm dealing with. A lot of my investors are also fairly you know, savvy when it comes to real estate investing. They don't go out and do it themselves, but they understand it. They're they're in the circle, so they sort of get it. And a lot of them want to know the first question, especially when I was new. So these contracts and my system was set up basically when I was new. And I just, I'm not afraid of it because like you said, it's I guess it's a little ballsy, but I've never had anyone foreclose on a house because I I get it sold and I'm aggressive about buying. I'm very, very aggressive and very, very into the rehab management too. I've gotten that down and I'm very comfortable with that. And I, I don't go over my timeline. I don't go over budget and I get the houses sold because it's just, I'm very aggressive in that end of it. So for me to offer that six months or whatever, um, you know, foreclosure clause, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, I, I, I love the partnership thing again. Like you, like you said, you're giving away some of your profit, but I know that it's pretty much the same way I structure mine, though. I really like what you said about not having payments during the time when you're flipping. Now, that's kind of a neat way to do it. You you split the profit at the end 50-50, but you pay, make no payments in the meantime. Yeah, I mean there's just zero. We get we get all the money up front too. I mean, I don't get releases. I get the you know, they they buy the house obviously and then whatever we're going to use for rehab, I get that all at one time and then I decide how to, you know, dole that out to the to the contractor. So, and, and so yeah, it's very convenient. You're pretty much doing these in, with no money down. I mean, essentially, right? 
all these new. I mean, none, yeah, none. Of, yeah, I have none of my money into the deals at all. I, I've not put any money into any deal since the first house I did. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it, it can be done, people. It can be done. Why don't we? Why don't we move on a little bit to, I, I guess, a little bit more of the starting out stuff. We want to talk about you know when people first get going. So I'm wondering if somebody's listening to the show who has not done any real estate investing yet whatsoever, what is the first step that they should do? I mean, like they don't even know what field they want to get into. They don't know like what, what should they do to get started? Uh, I think the first thing they need to do is get educated and it's a really slippery slope because of what I talked about. We talked about at length what I did. I, I spent too much time getting educated, but I think the bottom line is anything, anytime you're going to get into something like this where you're going to be spending a large amount of money and maybe somebody else's money, you better know what you're talking about and you better know what you're doing. So I would say get on, you know, like, I mean, not to, not to plug, but over bigger pockets is, a, is just a great place. It's a wealth of information and you should get on there and start reading and figure out what excite you the most and and uh and start reading about that and and really educate yourself and then the next thing would be like i said find a mentor someone who's willing to sit down and just give you some guidance i mean you you guys both know if someone came to you and said i'm going to start real you know i'm going to start investing in real estate i'm going to do it you can't stop me and I'm not going to ask anyone for any help. I'm just going to go out and find a good deal, throw money at it, and I'm going to go for it. And and you know that they would probably likely fail if they did that way. So if you could sit down with them and just spend 20 minutes, half an hour, you could probably save them so much time and so much money. I mean, a half an hour isn't enough, but even a half an hour, you would probably get them out of so many jams that they don't have to get into. So just finding somebody who knows what they're doing and talking to them and befriending them. Don't be a pain in the butt. Be be friendly. Be personable. Try to be charming. Don't be fake and don't ask for everything under the, under the sun. Just just listen. Just ask them some questions and let them talk to you. You know, and, and I, I think... You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a plea um, from from the flip side here. I, you know, I there's there's so many of us who who listen to the show and and who are out there. So many people who who are doing well. You know, I I'm gonna challenge you to to if you're one of those folks to you know step out of your comfort zone and reach out and find you know somebody who's who's new and and who uh, do, doesn't have the chops yet and help them out Be, because. You know, you'll actually be amazed. You'll probably learn something yourself uh, from helping them. And and you know, it's it, it, we all started from somewhere. Everybody started uh, at the very beginning, and everybody's made mistakes. And and if you can help, you know, one person out, I mean, we could all better the community that way. Yep, yeah. I totally agree. I think a lot of people are willing to do that, but you're right. I mean, we get so caught up in what we're doing, we don't think to necessarily stop and help someone. But, you know, if someone just comes up to you and says, hey, I, I really want to get into this and, and I don't really know what I'm doing, just give them a minute of your time. Well, and I, I think part of that comes from this mindset, which is a false mindset. I think it's a false mindset um, of the, the competition. I'm helping my competition. And, you know, in some ways you are, you know. But in the end, you know, especially in real estate, your competitors are going to be uh, your your deal flow. In, in many many cases, if you if you do it right, you're gonna you're gonna work with these guys. So, you know, I think it's a mindset thing. Yep, I agree. I, and a lot of people do look at this competition. I really don't either. Even in my local market, I'm. I swear I've gotten more back from helping people than I've, you know, lost or it's, it's, it's never negatively affected me. I've never had an issue with that. So you help people and they're, they just, they want to, they want to help you back and, and you end up, you know, like you said, deal flow, perfect example. That's, that's the kind of thing that happens. So do you think then 
that flipping is a good ideal to get into when you're first getting started because that's what you did? Or would you advise somebody to start somewhere else? Uh, um, it's a good question. I think, I think you can really screw up worse when you flip houses right off the bat. Um, the problem with wholesaling when you start off, and I, I've listened, like I said, I've listened to a ton of people that you guys have talked to, and I've heard vastly different opinions on this. Um, but you, you, to, you uh, talked to someone named Sharon Vornholt, and her, she said something that I thought made a lot of sense. When it comes to wholesaling, you have to know how to buy right. You have to know how to renovate, or at least you need to know the cost of what it, what it costs to renovate a house. And then you have to have someone to sell the house to. You have to know what it's going to sell for at the end of the deal. You have to have so much already under your belt in terms of knowledge. I think it's very tough to start off wholesaling, personally. If you don't have the connections, you don't have people who want to buy, you don't have people who want to sell, and you don't know how to renovate a house and what it costs, I just don't see how you can really do it. I know you've had people on who said, They've done it that way, and that's how they started. And I, I believe it. I just, it seems hard for me. Yeah. Um, I do think that that flipping houses are is a good way to start, honestly. Especially if you just get a little help from someone who's done it before. Now, it might be easy in my market to say that because the, the amount of money we're talking is not astronomical. So for me, that was a, a good way to start. If I lived in Southern California, I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't have been a good way to go. Maybe it would have been cost prohibitive. I wouldn't have been able to do it. But in my area. Fix and flip is probably a great way to start. Well, and that, that is a really good point right there. Is it's not going to be the same for you as it is for Josh. Where Josh's neighborhood, the houses are going for a million dollars or 500000 and you're 40. So in a different area, different methods work for different personalities. So it's kind of a, a blending of those three things to try to figure out how you should get started. Yeah, and I enjoy the managing of the contractors, dumb as that sounds. I, I, I like I like managing the pro I don't know if I enjoy managing the contractor, but I enjoy managing that process. I like the timeline thing and I like having a budget and a timeline and and seeing how you know close to that or how much better I can do than that. I I enjoy it. I, I kind of thrive off of that. Yeah, so I don't like it, for that me at it works. All. I, I'm I'm the opposite. I don't I don't like the managing the property, but I love finding the deals and managing the tenants. I don't mind that part of things as much. So it just, yeah, different uh, different personalities. I love that. Um, yep. So wrapping up here, before we kind of get to our final rounds, what is your plan for the future? Do you plan on just flipping continually? You have one buy and hold. Do you plan on doing more of that? Where do you see yourself in the next few years? Yeah, ironically, I do plan on doing a lot more buy and hold uh, next year. Um, I, I do flips now, like I said. Uh, you know, I'm not getting any younger, and I'm starting to realize that if I ever want to, you know, be able to retire or have some time to myself where I'm not working all the time, the only way to really do that, in my opinion, or the best way to do it, is with buying hold um, real estate. So, you know, flipping is great, but I've got to be there every day, right? I've got to be on top of it, and it's it's a full time job. Um, I am going to do a lot more buy and hold in 2014. That's my plan. So I, I'm just going to be a little smarter about it. You know, tenant screening and that kind of thing that I didn't do with the house that I currently have. I'm going to be a little bit more methodical and systematic about it. And um, yeah, that's that's my goal for next year is to do a lot more buy and hold. Nice, nice. And Brandon wrote a really great article on tenant screening that that's pretty uh, thorough. I don't know if you've read it already, but uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. And it's okay. it's fabulous. Great. Uh, yeah. That, that's something I have to sharpen. That's a skill that I don't have that I need to sharpen. Yeah, cool. right on. Right and, on. Well, cool. Oh, go ahead, sir. Oh, I was going to say, we do have a short link for that. It's just biggerpockets.com slash tenant screening. We'll actually go right there. So okay, awesome. anybody cares. Uh, nice. All right. Well, why don't we get to the... It's time for the fire round. Fire. Choo, 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 choo. 
Those sound effects are fabulous, guys. Nice. It's like George, it's like George Lucas is working on this show. This is how we do it, man. Yes. Gotta, gotta, gotta raise the bar, right? Yeah, there you go. All right, these questions all come from the bigger pockets forums. These are questions that real people are asking, and we want to know your advice. So we're going to fire them at you. You can fire them right back. Number one, you hire a bad contractor who doesn't do the work right for whatever reason. You fire him, and now he's threatening to file a mechanics lien. What do you do? <laughs> Perfect. I know question. it's a tough one to start with. <laughs> Is this a question that I put up there? Did you guys look for my questions? Uh, well, hopefully people are listening to the show and they're going to have people sign a release of lien uh, before they even get started. That's that's key. Um, you know, the way you get around legal problems in real estate, in my opinion, or the way you avoid a lot of problems in real estate is with um, paperwork contracts. People sign things up front. You have agreements that you can present. Other than that, I would say you should never pay your contractors with cash. It's very difficult to prove that you paid them when you pay them with cash. So, you know, use business checks or at least a check of some kind that's traceable. And uh, I would say have them sign off on everything you're paying them for. I mean, don't don't hand money to anybody that isn't in the form of a check and that they're not signing something that's stipulating what it is they're they're taking the money for, what's been done, what are you paying for, that kind of thing. Come on, Mike. I get <laughs> Yeah, I'll charge you 75% of my rate if if you yeah. pay in cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, that's all right. I'll 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 pay the full rate. I've had that too where it's going to hey, it'll cost you less if you use cash. Yeah. Not really, not in my experience. Yep. <laughs> it yep. costs me more. There you go. There you go. All right, next question. Is it worth it to texture walls on a flip? Texture walls. Uh funny. I I had a I had a good experience with that too. Um I don't texture walls on a flip, uh, and I didn't even know that texturing walls was desirable until one of my contractors in the past did it without asking me. <laughs> I saw it. I saw that he did it, and honestly, I thought he did something that made it look cheap, and I like went ballistic. I like blew. I, I like blew a gasket, and then I got. A, I I left the site, and I turned to one. Of, I called one of my friends that was in uh, real estate, and he's he had been flipping houses for a long time. He really knew his stuff. He was somebody I kind of. He was sort of a mentor to me. And I said, can you believe what this guy did? He textured these walls. It looks like, you know, bleep. And I'm so pissed off. I'm going to fire him. I was just so beside myself that he did this house this way. And he's like, dude, calm down. People yeah. love that. I pay Seriously. extra for that. I was like, really? <laughs> so I went back and said, you know what? I thought about it. I'm going to let it go. I'm not mad anymore. Don't worry. <laughs> just don't do it without asking me. And he's so it was it was funny. But uh, I don't do it to answer your questions. Um, but I hear people like it. Nah, yeah, definitely. I, I like it. I need to actually texture my bedroom one of these days. So it's... Just texture your face and get rid of that <laughs> beard of yours. I did shave. No shave November is over. Look at this. It's Thank shorter. God. Oh, my God. I had to talk to this guy. There were like owls coming out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> got to live somewhere. They got to live somewhere. All right, next question. Should a house flipper get their real estate license? Uh, I don't have my real estate license, so it would be kind of hard for me to say that they should. I don't think you need to. I don't think it's all that important personally. Um, if you want direct access to the MLS, if that's something that really excites you, then you probably should. I don't think it's a good use of my time to be trolling the MLS and, and that kind of thing. I, I have a realtor that I, I love. He, he does a great job for me. He's very timely. He shoots properties at me. He'll he'll do anything I need him to do that I can't do as a non-realtor. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's important personally, but I'm sure a lot of people are, are yelling right now. At the, at the, uh, <laughs> nah, nah. Listen, you're I mean, wasting so much money. 
I don't think it's a waste. I, I, know, I have a very good friend who flips houses in my area. He went and got his real estate license. He thought it was a good idea for him. I just never felt like I needed to. Gotcha. Good. Gotcha. Good. All right. Great. Well, this question's perfect for you. What do you look for in a neighborhood? Detroit. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had an itch. I look for a, a declining economy <laughs> and <laughs> entire street blocks that I can buy for what's in my pocket. <laughs> uh, what's important to me is that every house in, in the area that I'm in is essentially was built in the same time frames, the same era, very similar houses. So I'm buying a lot of um, three ones with a basement, a garage, brick ranch, and there's so many houses like that in the areas that I buy houses that I it, there's a very predictable uh, after repair value. And that's really important to me. I don't want to be in an area where every house is unique and it's on a weird road and it's sort of out in the country. Like It's very hard to predict the prices of those houses, what they're going to sell for. I like to be in very predictable neighborhoods. And the neighborhoods that I work in are, are very densely populated um, you know, very run-of-the-mill thousand-square-foot ranch houses. And I, I just know with, with very little research exactly what it's going to sell for. So it kind of speeds up the process of sifting and sorting through houses. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, next question. Josh, you want to take it? That was my question. Was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. No, don't, no problem. You, yeah, how's your nap? Did you wake up? Yeah, I was petting my cat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> my cat it's keeping me warm my feet all right next question <laughs> what are your all right next question <laughs> i'm gonna get through this <laughs> you realize that sixteen thousand people or 17 or whatever the heck we're at these days now know that you're sitting here petting yeah. your yeah, yeah whatever uh-huh. all right next question what are your thoughts let me all right next question what is your opinion about hard money lenders and flipping houses? Uh, I have never used a hard money lender to flip a house. Um, I think they're fine. I think there's a place for them. I, you know, the, the deal with hard money lenders for me is, is um, usually you're making payments while you're flipping the house. And the amount of money that you're going to have to pay them at the end of the deal is probably going to be more than what it would be if you just partnered with somebody and split the profits in my, in my estimation. So I just, you know, and there's tons, there's paperwork involved there too. Like it's almost like you're going to a bank, but getting a worse deal. So <laughs> I don't usually go to hard money lenders for that reason. I, I, if I can't move extremely quick, like I can with a private lender, then I'm just going to go ahead and get a mortgage and pay way low, you know, interest rate, a lot less of an interest rate and not have all the, all the points and things. So to me, it's like it's between private money and a bank, you know, mortgage, but it's like the worst of both worlds. It's not fast and it costs you a lot. There you go. There you go. Well, if you are looking for hard money lenders, we, we have a directory of hundreds of them on BiggerPockets at biggerpockets.com slash hard money lenders uh, for anybody listening. And, uh, and, I, and I just crapped all over them too. Sorry about that. That's, uh, <laughs> it's all good, man. I mean, I, I listen, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, you, exactly. you know, you want to, you want to vet anybody, whether it's private, hard money, or or even traditional, and, and see what works best for your situation. So, just because yep. I think Detroit sucks, <clears throat> doesn't mean that it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! I can't uh, wait to hear your next show when you talk nicely about Detroit. I think you've turned over New Leaf. I, I think with I got that article you sent. By the way, I saw that you sent it during the show. I got that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna post that on Bigger Pockets. I'm should. gonna I'm gonna get that out there. You should. I want I want to hear the change of heart. 
I have a change of heart. I mean, I think that's really positive. I, like I said, there's a lot of a lot of good things happening. But stop interrupting me in my fire round, okay? Jeez. All right, fire round. Final question: Do you use a smartphone uh, to help you run your business? And if so, how? Oh man, I'm all about the smartphone. Um, yeah, actually, I do. Um, well, obviously, I'm using it for texting and emailing, like everybody else. But you know, that's a lot of it. There's a lot of emailing that goes on. In, uh, in real estate investing. So tons of emailing. Um, I have created some just fairly simple spreadsheets that help me work through some of the numbers um, when I'm in a house that I'm looking at. And I, I basically create them in Google Docs and I open them through Google Docs app and, and can plug in some numbers real quick to help me just sort of sort through some things. Um, so yeah, I use my smartphone for that. Um, every you know a little bit i don't use it a ton but I, I i get on zillow once in a while and and use that just to do some double checking on on certain things and and uh see what's out there but yeah i use my smartphone for almost everything to answer your question but uh specifically for the business i have created some spreadsheets that i that i use when i'm you know going through and evaluating the uh the flip and what i'm going to spend right on right on cool, cool. All right. Well, with that said, it's time to wrap this show up. Uh, although I am so saddened by it, but uh, why? Nice uh, I'll come yeah. back tomorrow. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Speaking of sure, we're gonna we're gonna bust out the famous four. Our famous four. These questions we ask everyone, as you know. So, question number one: What is your favorite real estate book? I'm going to bum Josh out. I know he gets so bummed by a lot of the answers. <laughs> I really don't get bummed. You guys, right. you know, right. I, sound, I sound bummed just because I sound like I haven't gotten through puberty doesn't mean I'm bummed. Uh, I would say, you know, probably the one that had the biggest influence on me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I know that's a little bit of a cliche. It's a bummer. You guys got to figure out a way to ask this where you say, what was your favorite book? Other but than you can't say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, I'll throw this one out there, too. This will be a little bit of a curveball that most people will probably snicker. But it did. I don't know if it's a business book or more of a real estate book or a little both or maybe neither, but um, The Art of the Deal. I liked it. I, it was it was a, a book that was motivating to me and I thought it was really cool and it just sort of got me, it'll just like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mean, it just sort of got me thinking along you know, that line of, of real estate investing. Obviously, I'm not buying houses in, or uh, apartments in Manhattan and flipping buildings there, but um, it, it was a book that I liked. It had an influence on me. So That's Donald it, Trump, right? That is Donald, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, yeah. Art of I, the I, Deal, yeah. I read that yep. a long time ago. I don't remember much of it. Right. But, it's an old book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually no. really enjoy reading. Like I read one of Donald Trump's newer books, most like entertaining read I've ever had. Like yeah. it was just hilarious. Because <laughs> well, he is—he's yeah. probably one of the greatest self promoters in the history yeah. of histories. I mean, he really yeah. is. Uh, yeah. You know, and and that's at least I'd argue his. You know, the, a lot of his business today is certainly in in that promotion, the branding, and the promotion versus yeah. the real estate. But but certainly, obviously, he's doing real estate. So 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 that's a that's a good real estate book. Art of the deal. I th- I actually really enjoyed it as well. Um, what uh, what about favorite business book uh, that's not uh, Art of the Deal? Not uh, the <laughs> any any of the uh, banned book list for for Josh Jordan. <laughs> I like the four. No, I'm just kidding. I won't go there. Um, <laughs> Three-hour three work week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Are you still on page 27, by the way? That's the last I heard. I am. All right. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I, I like a book called uh, The Millionaire Next Door. 
yeah. by Thomas Stanley. That, that was a cool book. I like that. It had a lot of influence on me. It was kind of eye-opening, some of the concepts in there that I hadn't really thought about. Um, I, I also do like to read um, some Dan Kennedy stuff. I don't know if you guys read him at all, but no. uh, I have a book called Wealth, uh, Wealth Attraction for Entrepreneurs. It's just one that I read, read recently of his that I really liked. So just, just a cool guy, uh, motivating guy. Uh, you know, he has a lot of books out there. The No BS series basically is, is what he writes. So, um, yeah, I read some of his stuff. Right on, right on. Very cool. And, uh, what about, what about hobbies? Do you, uh, do you do anything for fun? I don't know, like skateboarding through downtown Detroit at (laughs) 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. It's a game we call kick someone out of the car in Detroit and see how long they last. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, for hobbies. I, you know what? Actually, it, I don't know if it's a hobby. It's something I've been involved in my whole whole life. But um, I'm actually a, a fourth degree black belt. And I used to run a full-time martial arts school. And I'm still involved there. And, and there's a school with my name on it still that I don't necessarily run. But really? it, it bears my name. And uh, I go there and, and uh, help with testing and, and some promotional stuff there. Nice, nice. Okay, okay. fight Joel Owens. I was gonna say that. Yeah, Joel's like a third degree black belt. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we got to get you two actually kicking each other's butts, and then Brandon <laughs> Turner over here, my my fabulous I'll co-host, both on. who likes to pick fights with people twice the size <laughs> or or more skillful than him. That would be fun. I, I would have to hopefully be more skillful because I'm not twice the size. I guarantee you that. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm also well. I'm he's also like eight feet old. tall. Oh, okay. Yeah, five <laughs> fight sixteen not. foot tall people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, plus I'm getting old. I, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> nice. All right, final question of the famous four. What do you believe sets apart the successful investors from those who never really start? Uh, I think the, the thing that sets them apart is they take action and then they keep taking action. To me, that's, that's the beginning and the end of, uh, of what it takes to be successful. You don't have to be incredibly smart. You don't have to be you know, born into money or anything like that. But you have to take the first step, which is scary as hell. And then you have to keep doing it, even if things don't go perfectly the first time. So action and then consistent action. That's it for me. Good, good. Awesome. Some tweetable topics in there. Yeah, so. for sure. Awesome. Well, listen, Mike, it's, it's, uh, it's been enjoyable. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is a historic episode. I think uh, lots of people are going to stop tuning into bigger pockets. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, how how many people have we alienated so far? Well, there's only like 16 people who live in Detroit, so it's you know, probably not that many. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, I'm still buying you that $5,000 house and and you have to come and live in it. Yes. You know, that would be a serious challenge. <laughs> Can drop five it. a week in downtown. <laughs> Exactly. Downtown, I'm going to give you a bottle of water and a pocket knife and see what you do. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. Lots of really, really good tips and, and feedback and, and your story is fascinating. And as, as our, yeah, every, everybody's got their own unique story and it's so cool to just see how we all kind of make our way through, through this, uh, this world. Uh, how, how, uh, how can people find out more information about you? Where can they uh, reach out to you at? Uh, they can find me at, uh, I have a website called Just Start Real Estate. They can uh, go there and check me out. Uh, they can email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. And that'd be a good way to get a hold of me. And you also have a podcast, yeah? 
I do have a podcast, uh, ironically called Just Start Real Estate. And basically oh. just, just, you know, it's for people who are just starting out, really. I'm trying to give advice to people like you talked about the challenge, right? Just trying to find people and talk to people who really haven't done much of anything or even nothing and answer some of those questions that keep people, you know, make them too afraid to even get out there and, and get started. So there you go. Well, awesome. Listen, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Awesome. I had fun, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. All right, everybody. That was Mike Simmons. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. There was a lot of really, really, really good stuff in there. And, and we definitely appreciate Mike taking the time for being here with us. Uh, as as uh, we've said a couple times, if you've got questions for him, check them out on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 49. Otherwise, uh, definitely make sure to connect with us over on the various major social networks, Facebook, Twitter, G+, LinkedIn, and Pinterest now. We're, we're, we're trying to share some cool stuff over there as well. And, and we are sharing and, and engaging over on these networks with things that we're not doing on Bigger Pockets. So definitely make sure to follow us and connect um, with us on those various places. Otherwise, of course, you want to also connect with us on Bigger Pockets at biggerpockets.com in case you missed it. And uh, you, should, you should do that. And, and, and why should you do that, Brandon? Uh, I, I don't know. I got yeah. nothing. Yeah, why, why do we pay this guy? Uh, to connect with us on, on Bigger Pockets because you're going to get a whole lot of value out of it and, and you're going to meet guys like oh, yeah, that was it. Mike and you're going to learn a thing or two and you're going to build your network and, and uh, we definitely encourage it. So if you're not interacting, if you're not connecting, or even if you have a profile and you don't do anything with it, just take some action and start start connecting. So that's it. I enjoyed it. What do you, th- what do you think, Brandon? Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas. Let's wrap it up. Don't shoot your eye out. Do it. Wrap it up. <laughs> All right. This Dog is the, dare you, my friend. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast. This is Josh Dorkin signing off. <laughs> Dang it. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.